I think Tevez going to Juventus, what, what a coup that was for me. I mean, On a head-to-head -head battle, Atletico Madrid can do uh, more damage to Barcelona than the other way around. Either he's really blind or he's fixing the match. I, I can't see it any other way. I'm, I'm trying to get Sir Bob on my side here by saying City will win the Premier League. It, it is an upset. You would expect Man United to go and win there. Over a billion dollars was paid in transfer fees uh, between the clubs in, in Europe. It's football. It's damn football. Like Ferguson said, football. Bloody marvelous. Yeah, well, the celebration was, I can't believe I just scored against Mexico. Uh, at one point, Parma, I think it's only like 224 players under contract. Hey, they're going to throw me out of here, fellas. You're going to get me arrested on your show. If you're a serious talent, you're going back and you're playing for Santos. You, you know, you're going back to, to play for, like in Argentina, for River Plate or Boca Juniors. Or you're going to Europe. He looked like the Ryan Giggs of old. He was more creative than any player on the pitch. Um, he made Matt look stupid. He made Rooney look silly. Now, the Premier League is what the most exciting league out there. I think it's probably the best without a question. When you look at the draw for the, the Champions League, you kind of say, well, all the pieces kind of fell into place for everybody except City. I am your host, Joe Ucello. Sir Bob, Mike Orr. My co-host, Rob Rojas. My trusted co-host, Ben the Machine. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to episode 338 of Low Limit Football on this 2nd of October, 2021. I'm your host, Joe Ucello, and tonight, Juventus get a late Locatelli goal to win the Derby della Mole and move into 8th place in the Serie A table. Barcelona drop another result, a big one, Athletic, losing 2-0 to Atletico Madrid. Luis Suarez scoring in that one. Manchester United bench Cristiano Ronaldo for resting purposes, but even off the bench, he can't help save United from a 1-1 draw against Everton. The international break is upon us, and we're going to look at our favorite sides as they head into World Cup qualifying. And there's a new sheriff in town as Sheriff Tiraspol currently lead Group D after one of the biggest upsets in world football history. We're going to discuss that and much, much more with our very special guest, Romanian journalist Emmanuel Rosu, who will be joining us in just a little bit. But first, let me get my co-host in here, Mr. Roberto Rojas. How are you, my man? I'm good, Joe. I'm good. Yeah, it's been quite a wild week, we would say. Um, and I love the use of a pun that we will definitely have to focus on with our guest, that we spoke to. That's right. Yeah. And it's funny because it's funny that you said wild week because all I could think of was when you said wild was the wild, wild west and Sheriff Tiraspol uh, obviously pulling off what is arguably the greatest single match upset in the history of definitely in the, series, the history of Champions League, but possibly world football um, with their victory over Real Madrid in Champions League at the Santiago Bernabeu. This is this is a Real Madrid that's won 13 titles and and to lose at home. I believe it was 2-1 was the final. It's just an amazing thing. And then you dig deeper into the politics behind Sheriff Tiraspol and where they're from and everything. It's It was fascinating, fascinating stuff to talk about. So Emmanuel comes on um, in just a little bit, and it was fantastic to talk to him and get a, a deeper dive into Sheriff Tiraspol and what that's all about. So, uh, my friend, we've got, a, we've got a packed show, so let's get right to it. And uh, you, my friend, have the, tri uh, have the trivia tonight. So fire I away. do. Go for and it. so continue on to the discussion of Cristiano Ronaldo, he actually did break a record uh, this week, uh, breaking Lionel Messi's record for the most teams scored against in Champions League history. 
How many teams did he score against? In Champions League history. In Champions League history. Okay. Okay. We'll bring you that one at the end of the show. I'm going to throw a couple numbers at you. I don't don't think I'm going to get this one. That's a tough question, but a great question. So let's jump into opening thoughts. And and obviously going back, apparently it's the Cristiano Ronaldo Lionel Messi show because uh, we're going from CR7 back to Lionel Messi and Lionel Messi's former side in Barcelona currently having what what should easily be considered a nightmare um, of a uh, of a performance right now in Group E of Champions League. They're currently uh, two losses after two matches, losing in the first match to Bayern Munich 3-0, and then another 3-0 drop to Benfica this past week. From what I saw in the, uh, in the information that's been provided out on the internet, Barcelona haven't even registered a shot on goal let alone haven't scored a goal in, in two matches so far. They're dead last. They've got the home-on-home home against Dinamo Kiev coming up, and things aren't getting better because they just suffered the 2-0 defeat to Atletico Madrid um, at the Wanda Metropolitano uh, just earlier today. Things are going really, really bad. Ronald Koeman's still in his job, um, but you start to wonder with the Manchester United 1-1 draw, and, and United is not exactly you know firing on all cylinders in, in their Champions League qualifying. They're currently sitting third behind young boys, if you remember that that magical uh, loss for, for Manchester United against young boy with the, the Jordan Pifak goal uh, late in the match. Um, the question becomes, who gets first? Who gets sacked first, Ronald Koeman or uh, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer? Boy, Koeman, Koeman's got to be on his last leg, right? Yeah, it's, it's not looking good for him. And, and you know, I, I think it's going to be very interesting to see how both these teams really go through this but especially for Barcelona I think it was kind of expected Joe don't you think mm. look at all the chaos that was done behind the scenes not even just what happened in the summer with the departure of Lionel Messi but just everything that's been going on the amount of debt that's been given to this side and are we really that surprised yes I think we should be because you think oh it's Barcelona they've been such a powerful team for so many years you would think that they would get out of it but no no, this is the dark reality. And, yeah. you know, if, if I'm one of these players on Barcelona, uh, especially the ones that are a bit more younger, or, um, not the ones that recently joined, like a Memphis Depay or Sergio Aguero, but, like, if I'm a Frankie de Jong or a Pedri or, you know, um, even an Ansu Fati, I'm like, mm-hmm. I don't think I want to be here for the rest of, well, not the rest, but for a long time. I kind of want to start looking at different options. It's just... It's incredibly insane how bad the side is. And, you know, if, if they're going to sack Kuman, you know, right early on in the season, that just makes things even worse. So, yeah, it, it's not looking good at all for Barcelona at the moment. Well, what's, what's even more telling is, is obviously the, the writing's on the wall. I don't expect Kuman to make it through the international break. Let's, let's be honest. And I think right now... It's not so much the fact that they're going to sack Kuman; It's that they're trying to find his replacement before they sack him. Um, but the names that are coming up are, are, are decent names. You know, uh, obviously, Andrea Pirlo is one of them uh, coming off his Juventus job. Xavi, uh, you know, club legend. Uh, Roberto Martinez, uh, currently the Belgian head coach. Uh, you know, his name has been mentioned. I think there's one other name. I think Antonio Conte's name has been mentioned here and there as well. The, the telling fact is nobody wants the job right now at least you know from what you can tell reading the tea leaves nobody wants the job 
And that is that is more telling than anything because Barca is in so much debt. It's going to be years before they climb out of this. They do have a wonderful young core, but they're not going to be able to do anything to build around that young core as they move forward. So, I, I mean, you know, what happens to Barca here? Do we see them, you know, really just become a mid-table team for a few years? Or do you think there's enough there that if they get the right coach in there that maybe they climb back into at least the Champions League spots? Because Barcelona right now can't afford to miss tournaments. Do you know what I mean? They have to qualify for Champions League. They have to be deep into the Copa del Rey. They have to be battling for that La Liga spot and maybe even win it because they need the money at the end of the rainbow. And they're not going to get that money if they're not there. So what are your thoughts, Rob? And I think playing the way that they're playing, it's it's going to be absolutely difficult. I, I think certainly, you know, if they're not able to maintain the, the amount of consistency that you know, they, they need to get into those positions, um, it's going to be difficult. I mean, you know, that they're in danger of of bouncing out of the Champions League and even the Europa League if things go even worse. Um, you know, obviously in the league, you know how tight the league can be. And, you know, it's still technically early days. Okay, we're only, what, it's a couple games in. But, Same. you know, it's, it's those games that matter. And, you know, I, I, I think... They have to really keep it up in order for them to to think of that. But I, I just don't think with this man, Jarelis, with Kuman that... And you saw the signs even last year as well and how they kind of collapsed in the Champions League and then obviously in the um, in La Liga. I mean, they didn't win Copa del Rey, but it's, it's not really looking good. And I, I don't know what kind of future they have because you don't know. You don't know what to expect from them. And, and that's the... That's the fearful part of it all. And, and you know, the funny thing is, is we're talking about really, a, you know, a club that's on fire, right? That that really is just is just a smoldering mess. They're only five points back of Real Madrid right now in the, you know, as we as we record, um, Real Madrid are, are due to play tomorrow, but they're only five points back. You know, they're, this is not terrible. They're only seven matches in. Um, they're currently sitting ninth. There are plenty of really good teams in front of them, including Valencia, uh, Athletic Club, Sevilla, Sociedad. There's plenty of great clubs in front of them. But, you know, it, it is early days, but I think that the more telling part is the fact that I think they've lost their last, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, like five or six matches in Champions League. Um, and, and the fact that they haven't even registered a shot on goal, I think, is the more telling uh, fact that people are pointing to and saying, this is the problem with Barcelona. And, and it's really more of a, of, a, of a strategical problem because the talent is there. You know, talk about Memphis Depay, you talk about Ricky Pooch, you talk about Pedri, you're talking about... Um, you know, Frankie de Jong, like you mentioned, there is talent. Andre, uh, Mark Andre Ter Stegen in the uh, in goal um, is a super talented goalkeeper, one of the best in the world. They have pieces. Uh, I think it's right now. It's a matter of finding the right person to push the right buttons for this team, moving them forward. I think that's going to be the big key. And if they don't get that, then they're going to be they're going to be in serious trouble. And you know, it, it could be disastrous for them. So, well, I mean, so you know, moving forward before we close out. For Barca, obviously, it's a foregone conclusion. They're going to sack Koeman. It's going to happen in the next couple of weeks. Who do you think takes that job? Gun to my head. Shabby. Mm. You think Shabby does take it? Yeah, I, I don't see Gallardo going for it. I don't think Pirlo really suits what Barcelona are looking for. Uh, and that was the other name I, think, I couldn't think of. Was I, think they, I, think, I think they want to go for someone that is closely connected to the club. And... It's not the best decision, but I think it's the only one that they can make at the moment. I don't think Xavi wants to take over this Barcelona. 
that's the thing. I don't think he wants to take over this team. I think Xavi. I think Xavi will be the ultimate solution. Okay. I think he will come in, and then we'll see what the future holds. But I don't think he comes in yet. I honestly, for me, I think it's going to be Andrea Pirlo. And the reason I think it's going to be Andrea Pirlo is because Pirlo is looking for something to be become part of a project. Right. He took over Juve at a, at a time where Juve were really looking on the downward swing. Um, Barca have already gotten there. Right. They can only go up from here. So Pirlo comes in. He does anything that's worthwhile with this club. He's gonna he's gonna he's gonna look fantastic. He will have put his name on two different major clubs in the world, and he'll probably get a, another a third job. Um, so I think he's you know I think he's looking at it that way. I don't think Roberto Martinez wants to leave Belgium just yet. I do not think Conte wants to take over this club. Conte is going to be a guy that wants to come in and say, "I want two hundred million euros because I'm going to go buy this guy, this guy, this guy, and this guy, and I need that for my system." And Barca is going to look at their pockets and go, "Listen, pal, they're empty." You know, so I don't think it's Conte. I, you know, I think Gallardo is is interesting, but I, I I agree with you. I don't think he wants to come into this situation, right? I think there are plenty of opportunities for Marcelo Gallardo coming in from from um, River Plate, and and I think that he he will find a landing spot, a very good landing spot. But I, I don't think he wants this landing spot. I, for me, Gallardo is is going to be more like the guy that's going to take over after Rafa Benitez at Everton. That's that's where I see Gajardo going. Um, I see him taking over a mid, a solid mid-table club, either in Italy or in England, and and I think he runs with it from there. And that's going to be that's that's my estimation of what he's going to do. So I, I really I'm, I'm thinking it's going to be Pirlo. If I had to put money on it, that's who I would think would be it. So um, let's table our discussion of Barcelona. Let's see. Obviously, they're going to get the week off, and and we'll see if they can come back and and, and a little bit stronger. So. Before uh, we started recording tonight, we were able to be joined by Romanian journalist Emmanuel Rosu, uh, who has incredible insight into Sheriff Tiraspol and what they're doing right now. Uh, insight into the politics as well. He wrote a great article for Josimar um, that, that details all of this, including Moldovan match fixing, which is very, very intriguing. There's so many twists and turns to this Sheriff Tiraspol uh, team, and I think ultimately... They need two points, and they're going to the knockout stages of the Champions League, which is an incredible uh, feat for a team that many equate to a sixth or seventh level um, English t- side. Somebody, a team that would be maybe lower ranked than an MLS side, and and here they are though beating Real Madrid at the Bernabeu. So it's fantastic stuff. So, uh, without further ado, the Emmanuel Rosu interview. And joining us now on Low Limit Football, Romanian journalist Emmanuel Rosu. Emmanuel, welcome to the show. It is great to have you on with us. Uh, I want to dig in right away with Sheriff Tiraspol, uh, possibly one of the greatest uh, upsets in in modern football. Really, if you think about it, especially in terms of one match, uh, the the victory over Real Madrid at the Santiago Bernabeu. They currently lead their group in Champions League qualifying, a group that also has Shakhtar Donetsk and Inter Milan. Um, it's it's an amazing story, especially when you look at the background of of them and um and where they're from in terms of you know the Moldovan how they play in the Moldovan league, but they're not really part of Moldova. They're part of a breakaway state, uh, Transnistria, I think is how you pronounce it. Transnistria, uh, yeah. Transnistria, okay. And it's just a fascinating story. And you wrote a great article about this in Josimar Football uh, about. Everything that's happened there, I'd like you to, to give us your, you know, your reaction to their victory over Real Madrid in the Champions League. They're leading the group and, and how we've come to this point for Sheriff Tiraspol. First of all, uh, thanks for having me on the show, guys. 
uh, it's great to be uh, with you and with your public. Uh, for me, is one of it's uh, everything that's happening to Sheriff right now is one of the biggest surprises in uh, the history of football. And I think the the win against Real Madrid is probably among the top three surprises I've ever heard about in in uh, in world football i'd say the first because i i never heard of uh, such uh, an earthquake before but i'll give you two more options because probably i'm very enthusiastic and uh, that's the the reason why i'm maybe exaggerating but it's still something uh, absolutely historical what they did with the with the possibilities have as a football club and with the uh, what they represent as a uh, country as an institution as a, everything it's it's unbelievable that a team built like sheriff was built is able to to beat real madrid they have uh, a budget not bigger than uh, five six million euros per season so it's uh, a modest salary in in the real madrid squad uh, they used to pay the entire club and uh, everything that happens around the first team. Uh, the, their players have wages going up to uh, 15,000 uh, euros per month. So it's really, really, really low if we even compare them to uh, second or third tier in England, let's say. So I, I would say that many of their players are at most... Uh, third tier level in England players because if you look at their backgrounds you you don't see many uh, shining or you you probably don't uh, think of any of them as uh, a solution for your favorite clubs in in Europe because they are very they played at a very low level before uh, before joining uh, Sheriff Tiraspol uh, their secret is their excellent scouting department they have a few good employees there maybe five or six uh, international scouters that look everywhere in the in the world for players uh, that's why they have maybe 20 nationalities uh, 19 if i i counted correctly uh, 19 nationalities different nationalities in their squad because they are uh, basically uh, signing players from everywhere around the world and uh, if you saw the, the guys who scored against Real Madrid at the Santiago Bernabeu uh, midweek, you'll see a player for Luxembourg and a player from uh, Uzbekistan on the score sheet, which is absolutely incredible. It's, uh, uh, there are two players coming from countries uh, which are not accustomed to, to this uh, uh, ex exclusive scene. So everything I think I think every every little detail about uh, this Champions League uh, race they've been through is absolutely absolutely astonishing. Of course, leaving aside the the political context and what uh, they are part of uh, of at home and concentrating uh, solely on on the football aspect, yeah, uh, uh, concentrating on on what they are as. Uh, as a football club, everything is absolutely astonishing, and I I cannot compare it with anything else, to be honest.
Now, obviously, Emmy, looking at how this achievement happened, obviously, I'm sure a lot of people were looking into what Sheriff Tarasov, Tarasov is. Um, and, you know, obviously mentioning your article, there is that issue of corruption in football in Moldova, um, issues of match fixing. And, you know, obviously that's an issue that's been going on and not just in, in these parts of the world, but obviously all over the world. But I wanted you to ask, talk about more about that and how, you know, even for an achievement like this, um, it does unfortunately paint a bigger issue of what's really going on politically in the in the country. Yeah, uh, the the football environment in in Moldova is not uh, the coolest uh, possible. Uh, basically, it's sheriff against uh, everyone else because sheriff is the only stable club. The other clubs try to survive by their means. Some uh, don't pay their players uh, for months, some for years. Some just uh, choose to uh, go in, in, in this uh, dubious uh, transfer uh, uh, match-fixing schemes and uh, nobody can stop them. They, they, there's been an investigation in the past. It, one is uh, happening right now, but the results uh, aren't coming. Uh, I spoke to someone in the, the football association there and he was telling me they're absolutely begging uh, the people in the clubs to stop uh, arranging games, to stop match fixing. And uh, they say, oh, well, you know, <laughs> maybe, but it, it never stops because football uh, is connected to, to the money. Uh, they don't have where to take the money and they choose to uh, make money out of football uh, the bad way, in, the, in a dark way, unfortunately. Uh, from what people told me there, uh, Sheriff is not involved in this uh, transfer, uh, in this dubious match-fixing scheme, but they used to have a, 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 second, uh, a second club, a B team, let's call it like this, Tiligul Tiraspol, in the past, which was based uh, in Tiraspol, of course, and they had uh, loaned players from Sheriff like uh, 90%. So in the past... Uh, uh, schemes like that weren't uh, weren't very unpopular in in Tiraspol, but I think they realize that uh, they cannot become a proper football club if they get involved in in things like that. And with the co the quality of uh, the league being so so bad because it's absolutely terrible, I think it's like to compare with 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 English sixth or seventh tier uh, in Moldova, you you don't get. Uh, proper football, uh, proper football games. Apart from, let's say, sheriff against uh, one or two opponents, but it's just because they uh, rise their level to a uh, unique uh, standard. Just because they are playing sheriff and they are playing the game of their lives and all that. But if you would put a team from Moldova against a decent team from the second or third tier, even in a in a big uh, in a big uh, European country, I think uh, they would get uh, uh, beaten, uh, well beaten, and not just by a goal or two. So, uh, yeah, in the past, they they had the, this idea to move the team to Ukraine, uh, maybe 20 years ago, uh, 15, 20 years ago, but they abandoned it because they uh, 
back then they thought that this was the the way they could uh, get the team to a better level uh, and to get it in the Champions League because that was the the oligarch who is in charge of the club. Uh, there are two two people who are officially running uh, investing in in sheriff, but one of them was called Victor Gushan, who's a former KGB uh, officer, uh, had this dream of uh, his team playing Champions League football. And look, after uh, 25 years since uh, he created the club, uh, it became a reality. It's uh, it's unbelievable everything. Uh, as I told you before, everything about this club, from ownership to the uh, the way the the, the club is uh, is handled, uh, the political context. Everything is uh, out of common. No, and, and that's a great perspective that you have on this, Emmy. And I think a lot of people will be very interested to see how long they can ride this wave. And that goes into my next question, because obviously, you know, despite the big win against Real Madrid and even the win against Shakhtar uh, last week as well, they still have to qualify out of the Champions League. And, you know, they still have some obviously good, important matches. They have to play Inter at the San Siro. Um in a couple of weeks, then they have two home games against Inter and Real Madrid before closing it off against Shakhtar Donetsk uh, in Ukraine. So I was just wondering, do you feel as if though Sheriff will be able to keep this momentum in the great start? I know it's such a tight group and with two teams that are obviously huge in pedigree in comparison to the likes of Sheriff and even Shakhtar Donetsk to an extent. Do you think, and if you are feeling as confident in them for you know, qualifying? Do you think that's possible even if they go into the Europa League? I mean, what, what do you see, in your honest opinion, uh, Sheriff being able to, to deal with this group? Teams of this type don't uh, usually uh, make it until the end. So they had... The first big result for them was in the qualifiers when they beat uh, Red Star Belgrade. Then the second big result was when they beat Dinamo Zagreb. Nobody thought, okay, well, they beat Dinamo Zagreb 3-0. In Tiraspol, okay, they managed not to lose in the way uh, leg as well. But when they moved to the Champions League, everybody said, okay, they are going to get hammered 30 goals in six games or something like that. That didn't happen. Uh, They beat Shakhtar playing very uh, uh, closed football, very smart football, mathematic football. Uh, They managed to beat Real Madrid uh, in a game which probably every uh, or 95% of football fans now knows about. Uh, Will they beat Inter Milan? Well, I don't think they will beat Inter Milan, but uh, I never thought they would, uh, were going to beat Real Madrid uh, and even Shakhtar because Shakhtar is playing uh, nice football. They have nice, uh, good Brazilians who like to uh, control games, who are very accustomed to Eastern European uh, uh, football. So they wouldn't have been uh, taken by surprise when they traveled to Tiraspol, but they did, you know. So uh, it's really unpredictable. Uh, I'm looking now at the, at the team they used uh, in uh, at the Bernabeu, and it's you, you you just can't tell anything about any of their players. Uh, if you look at them, it's like a, 
you know, an old football manager uh, team which is uh, signed uh, from everywhere. You sign a good scouter, he gets you players from everywhere. And uh, then you challenge the best in all in the old versions of uh, football manager. It used to work. You got players out of uh, everywhere in the world, and you managed to maybe do something good with them. Uh, for me, as an, a very old uh, football manager player, I'm living the dream now. Looking at their at their uh, starting eleven, because honestly, there are players who are second to third uh, world football third world football let's call let's call it uh, like it is uh, to get uh, those players uh, with a manager who hasn't ever coached at a big level himself uh, he's made the name for himself in ukraine but he never worked for dinamo uh, kiev or uh, shakhtar donetsk so uh, himself, he himself doesn't have the experience uh, at the highest level. So uh, looking at uh, at them uh, is is really intriguing, I think, for for football fans, for journalists. Uh, but if you if you ask me now, I I would say they won't make it uh, past their Champions League group. It's uh, I still find it impossible. And if they make it to into the, the the Europa League, they will probably stop because uh, I expect some players to leave in the uh, in uh, in the January transfer window. They will probably have uh, offers now that they uh, reached uh, a good status. And the club has this policy of not stopping players to to move because they offer short-term contracts. None of them is tied for five years or so. They have uh, one, two, three-year contracts there. Uh, they move a lot. Uh, they sign new players uh, every every uh, transfer window. And even now, they had a, a Brazilian uh, who they re-signed this summer and already sold before the end of the transfer window uh, to Al Taiwan in uh, in uh, in Saudi Arabia. So. Uh, they are basically an open market when it comes to football. It's exactly the opposite of uh, what they represent as a country when they don't have uh, ATMs for uh, MasterCard and for Visa. They just have uh, an own uh, local bank working uh, at the ATMs. You cannot get any, uh, you cannot use any foreign currency there apart from a local uh, currency they use. Uh, you cannot uh, uh, use uh, internet apart from the, uh, the the company that that operates in in Transnistria, which is also connected to Sheriff. So basically, they control uh, Sheriff and its owner control uh, big parts of of the economy. They control the football and they control uh, people uh, daily life as well they have supermarkets they have uh, part of the media and uh, gas stations you name it uh, they are everywhere you know yeah no it's a it's a massive achievement and and you know switching gears now to obviously your native country and heading into now the international break as we talk obviously i want to talk about romania and how their 
ready to, or at least going into the journey to qualify for the World Cup. They're in a group with Germany, Armenia, North Macedonia, Iceland, and Liechtenstein. So, you know, clearly it's it's going to be a tight group. And as we stand right now, Romania are currently in third place with 10 points, but only one point behind Armenia, who are in that uh, second place spot, which would allow them to qualify for the playoffs. Looking at some games that they have ahead, obviously they played Germany in Hamburg on the 8th and then hosting Armenia um, on the 11th in Bucharest. So, uh, Emmy, I, I just want your thoughts on how you see Romania in this um, international break. And, you know, do you feel as if, though, heading after these matches, what kind of expectations that you have uh, for them? Well, Romania has been, uh, I think, it's like Barcelona. You know, uh, you name a new coach, you think the better times will come and they just uh, happen to be worse and worse and worse. It's like this for the Romanian national team as well, of course, at the lower scale, because we haven't been our, at our best since uh, Haji's times or later with Mutu and Kivu. Uh, but that's also, unfortunately, uh, almost 15 years ago now, at least 10 years ago. So, uh, yeah, we've been going lower and lower and lower. Now we are probably in our worst, in our worst moment uh, with the Romanian, with the, with the national team, unfortunately. Uh, it would be over-optimistic for me to say I'm hoping for something from the national team because uh, it's uh, absolutely mediocre. And just uh, luck made us uh, win in Iceland, and uh, we weren't that good against Liechtenstein at home. Uh, so, yeah. And North Macedonia deserved to win against us uh, in the previous uh, window. So, we basically won the games which were considered to be harder, yeah, against Iceland. Uh, and we, we drew against North Macedonia. But, okay, maybe we won against Iceland, but we were still mediocre in that game as well. And Iceland was worse uh, than us. They are also in a very bad moment after uh, having some good years behind them. So I wouldn't say that uh, our recent results are uh, indicative or, or, or relevant uh, for our form because we are really, really shit, to be honest. And... Uh, I cannot, it would be unprofessional for me to say I'm hoping for something uh, against Germany because uh, just like Sheriff, we are in the lower, in, in I, I, I won't hide the, my uh, love for Romania. I, will, I won't put my love for Romania and for the national team ahead of uh, what I see. So I would say we are probably in the third world when it comes to uh, to football. And uh, unfortunately, uh, even our good players who move abroad don't manage to become important players, don't manage to, uh, to become starters. They return or go to a weaker team and weaker team before they return to Romania. And when they return, they never play as good as they played before. Uh, so they never deliver. It's it's uh, an illness we've been confronting for years now, and uh, we are still trying to to understand what's happening to us and why worse clubs are coming 
for our players and uh, we are not uh, becoming established players even at the weaker clubs. Uh, so this is the reality. This is uh, what we're confronting now. And I wouldn't say that Germany uh, could have any problem beating us uh, on the 8th of October, just five days from now. Emmy, I want to jump in, um, you know, because before we let you go, uh, you wrote, like I said, you wrote that great article on Joe Samar, um, and uh, and it was fantastic. So I'd like to everyone to, you know, look, be able to look you up. Where can everyone find your work? Um, you know, that was that was so great to read. Uh, I try to post everything uh, I do on Twitter. I have uh, also a website, which I will take care of. Now that I'm a, a freelancer, I will have more time to, to take care of it. So, yeah, uh, my Twitter account, my Facebook account, and uh, also my uh, my personal uh, website, which is emmanuelroshu.ro. And uh, again, thank you for the very kind words. Fantastic stuff. I mean, it was fantastic to have you. Great insight into the Sheriff Tiraspol situation and, and their run in the in the uh, Champions League. And we look forward to have you having you again soon, especially if uh, Sheriff Tiraspol makes it to the knockout stages of the Champions League. Yeah, sure, no problem. Have a, I had a good time, and uh, hopefully uh, I didn't bore you with my stories about Sheriff and Romanian football. And special thanks again to Emmanuel Rosu for joining us on the show. Definitely be sure to check out his writings, his work, because he does fantastic stuff um, and definitely intriguing, especially with the Sheriff Tiraspol situation. Roberto, we've got World Cup qualifying coming up here, my friend, this week. And I want to jump into, let's start on your end of the table. I, I said we would talk about our favorite sides. Uh, obviously, our favorite sides are Italy, Paraguay, giving our heritages, and the United States, given where we were born and, and where we live. So um, Italy is in the Nations League uh, semifinals coming up this week, and we'll give you that match and match of the week coming up in just a moment. But So let's go to South America. Paraguay currently sitting sixth, just outside the qualifying window. They're two points back of Colombia, and they've got a big one in this particular window just to start off as they take on Argentina at home coming up this week. Argentina currently sitting se- um, second. If you remember, the, the match was canceled between them and Brazil. So Argentina have a, have a match at hand, 18 points. They're currently six points uh, back of Brazil, but they are three points ahead of Uruguay. They've got Paraguay coming in, and they've got the match at hand. Uh, what are you expecting this week out of Paraguay, especially when they've got them, when they've got Argentina, and then on the backside, they're going to have Chile coming up, a, a team that is going to be battling them for that last spot. What are, you, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I think it's a, it's a huge um, international break for Eduardo Edizo's, um team. I think certainly a game against Argentina is something that they definitely need to get a result from in order to, you know, raise that kind of optimism to make to the World Cup. I think obviously, as you and I both know, Joe, very well that, you know, this qualifying process is very tough. And, you know, it's almost as if you have to be not even just near perfect to get results, but you have to get um, other results from other people as well. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's tough. You know, it's it, this is why anything is, is open. I think, you know, certainly a pair can get a, a monumental result. And I mean, a win probably would be good enough to, to get that kind of optimism for the world cup, obviously having to later go to Chile um, and, and continue their streak. They haven't lost to Chile in, in quite some time, actually. I think they've gone four unbeaten in all competitions. That's including the Copa America and the qualifiers. So got some momentum onto that. 
And then Bolivia, obviously, the altitude. They, they need to get some sort of result there. They haven't won in Bolivia in, oh, I think, almost 50 years or something. So, yeah, it's a it's a big week for for them. It's a big week for their um for their chances. And, you know, if they're able to get positive results aside as well from other results from other teams that are obviously in the fight, like uh, Ecuador, like a Colombia, like a Peru, mm-hmm. even a Uruguay, then that would be to their advantage for them to to remain optimistic of going to the World Cup. Well, this this is a great point. You bring up a great point here because the, immediately in front of them in the standings is is Colombia, two points ahead of them. Colombia have a nightmare of qualifying this particular round. They're going to face, um, they're going to start their qualifying against Uruguay coming up this week, and then they're going to go to uh, they're going to face Brazil. Um, you know, and again. Brazil having to go to Barranquilla to play Colombia is going to be tough. It's tough for anybody to play in that heat. But Colombia really have a six-point stretch here that if they fumble, um, Paraguay is right there to strike, don't you think? Yeah, that's the thing. And then I think that's the that's what is really going to be so um, clear on this and, and, and really expected. It's like you need to get the results, obviously, but now you have to look at the uh, the other teams as well, which it shouldn't be the case because, you know, they did drop points at home. You know, the, the win against Venezuela was actually their first win at home this this qualifying process. So, you know, now they're trying to play catch-up and, you know, that they can't screw up. They can't drop any more points, especially at home. So now you add that and, of course, adding... Uh, being expecting on other results going your way, it's it's going to be tough, and not not just for Paraguay, Joe. It's for all the countries as well, mm. aside from maybe Brazil and Argentina, but for all these other teams where you look at a four point gap from third and elimination, it can go either way. Yeah, no doubt. Let's uh, let's jump across and also no James Rodriguez again, um, which is I think an interesting scenario that's coming up there in in Colombia. So we'll have to keep an eye on that situation. Let's let's go over to Concacaf now with uh, with Mexico currently leading the way in qualifying seven points. The USA are currently tied with Canada and Panama um, on five points each, and Costa Rica on the outside. Uh, Costa Rica, Honduras, El Salvador, two points each, and Jamaica at the uh, at the end one point. The USA bringing on, um, you know, going to open against Jamaica in qualifying and then going to head down to Panama. No Christian Pulisic in this one. They've, they've announced their team. No Josh Sargent is going to be in this one. Um, they, they've, they've kind of wiped out a couple of different players. You know, you wonder what Greg Berhalter is doing with this side that he's going to um, move forward with a couple of, of key players or you would think that are key players in the team. But the way this team is shaped up, and I'm just going to call up the uh, the you know who he's called up for this particular match. I'm going to call them up now. But it's an interesting side that he's got set up for this particular run. But obviously, they're going to have to overcome uh, missing Christian Pulisic. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, it's, it's going to be a really interesting case. Um, obviously, you look at the side. There's no Gio Reyna. Weston McKinney is back after the controversy that had him sent home early on last month. Um, you know, you look at the players that are, you know, obviously names that are expectant. Tyler Adams, um, Kellen Acosta, Paul Ariola, Brendan Arison, uh, Ricardo Pepe as well. Mm-hmm. Um, he's on the squad. So, you know, you look at it, you, know, you look at the side and you're thinking to yourself, you know, heading into the game against Jamaica, a Jamaica side that haven't won yet in their first three games you'd think that is a must-win for them, that they can get that kind of optimism. But then going to have to go against Panama, who have done really well so far um, in this qualifying process, Joe. So that's the one where, you know, you really need to go in and try to get a result from there and don't, or or should I say, not lose. I, I think they have the capability of getting the win, but I think importantly, if they can get a result where they don't lose, I think it'd be bigger. 
And then against Costa Rica, um, you know, it's one of those tough home games. I think out of the all the games, aside from Mexico, and even to an extent, Panama, Canada, as we saw, this is the game that is a tricky one for the United States. It's always those tough games against Costa Rica, especially at home. You know, away is one thing, but at home, it's always been tricky. If you remember that game against Costa Rica in the last process for Russia 2018, that sealed the um, the end of the future, uh, the end of Jurgen Klinsmann. So, you know, this is a result that the United States needs to go in and have that kind of uh, mentality and, and go for the win. Yeah. So I think, you know, they, they have to take advantage of the home games that they have at the disposal, which are winnable in every sense, and then try to see what you can get in Panama. But it, they, they need to do it fast, and, you know, and they need to get the results fast too because you don't want to be in a situation heading into match day, you know, 11th, 12th, where they have to play catch-up, and you look at those tough fixtures that they have, you don't want that. So they need to get all the maximum points necessary to at least feel as if a bit more relief heading into qualification for the World Cup. Yeah, and you think about it, they've avoided Mexico so far in this qualifying. They've really got to do a better job of picking up as many points as possible. One of the things I'm, I'm, I'm excited about, Brendan Aronson's probably the most informed player right now in the U.S. men's national team, given what he's doing at Salzburg and, and his performances on the last World Cup qualifying round. Um, but I'm excited because uh, we're, we're going to get to see Gianluca Busio come in. He's in on this squad. A uh, goal and assist today for Venezia. He's been really growing into his role there and, and becoming, you know, you almost want to argue that right now in Italy, he's the best American in Italy and, and Weston McKinney's playing there. Um, so I'm going to be excited to see if Gianluca Busio gets some time. Luca Della Torre has been getting some great time at Marseille playing well as also. And Yunus Musa's brought into this one as well in the midfield. I'm excited to see how much time these three kids get in this midfield because I think they deserve it. And, and I think that if you if you let them loose, I think we're going to see some great things from them. So um, I think it's the right time to strike. I, I, again, you know, looking back at Weston McKinney, he didn't have a terrible game today. He should have finished one or two of his chances, but um, it wasn't terrible, but it wasn't the best. And, and really, Juve turned it around when they brought on uh, Juan Cuadrado. It, it, it really changed the game for McKinney and for the rest of the side. So um, Excited to see that. Matthew Hoppy's also, by the way, on, in on this group. So we'll have to see if he gets uh, any playing time because obviously the, the striker core, uh, aside from really Jordan Pifak, who's not on this uh, list, uh, you know, was not very good, right, in the last round of qualifying. I think Pifak was probably the best one. Uh, we'll see if Ariola gets uh, gets a shot. Or Ricardo Pepe did come on in that third match and really played well. So we'll see how they do uh, going forward. So. Um, again, we're going to give you those matches. Uh, we'll give you those matches actually coming up right now, my friend, because in match of the week, let's get to it right away. We've got uh, we're going to open with Nations League, and on Wednesday, Italy in place Italy plays Spain in the Nations League semifinal at two forty five. The Thursday match is Belgium France at two forty five, the other semifinal of the Nations League, and then we get to World Cup qualifying on Thursday. Uruguay Colombia seven p.m. Paraguay Argentina at seven p.m. and USA Jamaica at seven thirty p.m. Pick your poison there on Thursday. Or get multiple screens. On Friday, we're going to have the Czech Republic and Wales at 2.45. Germany, Romania, that we mentioned earlier with uh, Emmanuel, uh, at 2.45 p.m. And Turkey, Norway at 2.45 p.m. as well. On Saturday, we've got Finland, Ukraine at noon. And Switzerland, Northern Ireland at 2.45 p.m. That Swiss-Northern Ireland game is going to go a long ways in the group that Italy is currently leading because Switzerland have a couple games in hand. Then on Sunday of next week, Colombia, Brazil, 5 p.m. Panama, USA, 6 p.m. Mexico, Honduras, 7 p.m. Argentina, Uruguay, 7.30 p.m. Chile, Paraguay, 8 p.m. Um, block off some time and pour yourself a cold beer because it's going to be 
a great, great block of great, great football for World Cup qualifying coming up. So those are your matches of the week, my friend. Um, why don't you hit me with the trivia question again? Yes, I will. So during the midweek, we saw Cristiano Ronaldo break Lionel Messi's record for the most teams scored against in Champions League history. How many teams has Cristiano Ronaldo scored against? I'm going to give you I'm, I'm going to take two guesses at it. I'm going to give you one guess. Give me a higher or lower and then I'll give you a second guess. OK, go for it. My first guess: 29 teams higher, higher, 37 teams. That is correct. Wow. 37 teams. Wow. Talk about pulling it out of me or you know what. That's exactly what I just did. <laughs> uh, but I'll take it. You know, they, you know the, a broken clock is right twice a day. Right, my friend? So yes. that's, yeah, that's, yeah. that's what the saying is. And uh, it looks like I'm right twice a day, I guess. So um, <laughs> without anything left on the closing uh, on, on the docket, my friend, let's hit the closing music. Let's do it. All right. Here we go. So for episode 338 of Low Limit Football, special thanks again to Emilio Rossu. I'm sorry, Emmanuel Rossu for joining us on the show. Next week, we're going to give you the rundown of champion. I'm sorry, World Cup qualifying as they continue on with the road to Qatar 2022. So for episode 338 of Low Limit Football, I'm Joe Ucello. I'm Roberto Rojas. Thanks for listening, everyone, and good night. Good night.